Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every week, me and my lovely girlfriend, Miss Boo, go back and forth trying to drive each other insane with the strange and obscure movies we pick. No, we don't. Okay, maybe I do that. Yes, you do. You pick, you know, generally pretty good movies. Last week, we had Raging Bull, and this week was my pick, which is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is honestly a great film. I enjoy it, and this is the first time you've seen it, if I'm not mistaken. It is the first time I've seen it, and we're also watching it because it's Thanksgiving month, so we are watching a movie that's celebrating 45 years in cinema history. Oh yeah, that's right. This movie came out in, was it 75? 75. 75. See, I can do basic math on the fly. I cannot. Uh, you know, I still love you. Somebody has to. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay being that person. Well, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, for those who haven't seen it or read it, because it's based on a book, is about um, this very interesting mental ward somewhere in... Oregon? Oregon. Yeah, that looks about right. Where the calm and prison-like atmosphere is shook up by the arrival of R.P. McMurphy, played by Jack Nicholson. Shook up is an understatement. Yeah, uh... The um, piece is torn down and completely reimagined. But yeah, so this rough and tumble guy, played by Jack Nicholson, comes in, kind of throws the whole schedule order of the ward out of whack, which brings him in conflict with Nurse Ratchet, the head nurse of the facility. And uh, fun and chaos ensues. Who is really correct? R.P. McMurphy for treating the patients like... People? People or Nurse Ratchet who just tries to keep them calm through medication and generally being a bitch. Not even calm, just comatose. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole thing about like half the ward being basically non-responsive. They're called like the chronics because they're never going to leave. Yeah. They're just chronically ill. But that is basically how One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest is. You can watch it to get a little bit better understanding of the details, but we're just going to kind of jump in with, I guess, us talking about the movie. So where do you want to start, Miss Boo? Well, let's start from the beginning. All right. So when do you remember seeing this for the first time, or has this been in your life for a long time? Um, It's been in my life for a long time. I, I'm pretty sure, because I saw this before, before I went to like college for like film school, I'm pretty sure I saw this in like high school. I couldn't really tell you when, but you could probably tell that this is a really interesting film to see when you're in high school. Yeah. It's mostly about rebellion. But yeah. But no, I probably saw it like junior year of high school, something like that, but I don't remember exactly when because it's been so long. Before or after The Shining? Definitely after The Shining. Yeah, that's. um kind of weird because i think most people's first exposure to jack nicholson is the shining yeah it's usually the shining which is kind of interesting because you watch the shining and then that's your image of jack nicholson and then you see him in other stuff and it's like or it could be batman actually now that i think about it it probably is batman batman was probably first because i probably watched that when i was like in elementary school yeah i was thinking that's probably gonna be your your lead into Jack Nicholson more than The Shining, but I think, I don't know. It's it's, it's kind of a toss-up at this yeah. point, right? I think maybe The Shining might have been my first intro to him, but so could have Batman. Yeah. It's another good movie. It is. Maybe you'll, that'll be a pick sometime next year. Probably. Well, 
before we start talking about Kiss from a Rose, your favorite song. It's a uh, great song. I don't know why you don't like it. Uh, I, I find it fun. Well, so let's talk a little bit about Jack Nicholson's performance in the movie and uh, his character, R.P. McMurphy. I love his character. He's fun. He's uh, every, every um, dude you see in a bar. All in one body. All in one body. He is uh, loud, he's obnoxious, he's funny, he's rough, he's mean, and really sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, he's a, he's really runs the gambit in, in this film, because he's genuinely trying to just... I don't know if he's trying to help the other members of the ward, or if he's just trying to be friendly to them. If he's just trying to just treat them like men instead of patients. It's a little patience. Both. Yeah. Because they are men at the end of the day. They're not, you know, just some number on a chart. They're actual people. And And there's a lot of famous people in this uh, ward. Yeah, lots of famous people in this movie. I was just surprised how many, you know, popular celebrities were in this movie at the time. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, this was, you know, made in 75. So these are probably early roles for these guys because this is the introduction of... Christopher Lloyd. Oh, is this Christopher Lloyd's first film? It's his first film. Oh wow! This is Christopher Lloyd's first film. Is this this is is this Danny DeVito's first film? No, I think he was casted first, but I think he's been in some films before this. Yeah, and then oh, Billy Babbitt. He was um, oh god, he's the voice of Chucky. Brad Dourif. That's who that is. The yeah. voice of Chucky. Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh yeah. Also, by the way, if you want to just raise the quality of your film, just cast Brad Dourif. Guy's, guy's fantastic. Also, he is very young in this movie. I, he looks like he's 18, 19. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but there's a whole bunch of people in this cast. and William Redfield. Oh yeah, William Redfield. Yeah. Oh, we also have... Is it Will Sampson? Yes, Will that, Sampson. Yeah, that's uh, Chief Broom, who's this mountain of a, of a man. I love Chief. I think, you know, out of all my out of all the characters in this movie, Chief was my favorite. Oh, you would love the book then cuz the whole movie or the whole book takes place from his perspective. Yeah, and after I read that when I was doing research, I'm like I definitely need to make some time and read the book. Cuz Chief was such a cool character. Oh yeah, cuz um the cuz Chief's whole thing in the movie is he pretends to be deaf and dumb mm-hmm. to get one over on everyone around him. And to, you know, just kind of get by instead of having, you know, people or the orderly orderlies, you know, give them direction or give them orders. It's easier just to pretend like I can't hear you. I don't understand what you're trying to tell me and just get through the day. It's it's interesting because he's one of the only people on the ward who's been committed. Yeah. Because so um, McMurphy, Jack Nicholson, he's been committed because he was on a work farm in jail and he was rowdy and loud and basically they thought he was um i don't i don't know like adhd or something like that maybe schizophrenic because he could be you know calm one minute and he's just completely going nuts the next maybe you're like bipolar or something like that and they just throw him in here so they can observe him and you know kind of get a analysis on what's really going on with him yeah, because that's the thing about um, being committed is you're usually only committed if you're a danger to yourself or others. Mm-hmm. So it's him, it's Chief Broom, and I think Chief is there because he killed somebody. Because I think I think that's the context I picked up from the 
from the film like he killed his dad or something like that because his dad was like dying of like liver failure or something yeah. like that he was like a, an alcoholic and he was dying because i'm trying to remember why he was in there from the book but it's been like 10 years since i've read the book i gotta let you borrow your own copy you might have to let me borrow my own copy back but after you get around to it all right but yeah and then it's christopher lloyd's character um tabor right tabor yeah i don't know why he would be in there he seems like he would he's all he's almost like mcmurphy except he's not as wild about it he's just more cynical yeah you see you know when he wants to like fight or he wants to start up you see it in his eyes he's kind of like okay i'm kind of pressing the line let me step back a couple paces and you know control myself so he's not really like mcmurphy who's you know ready to hop over the fence or choke you know nurse ratchet out which was that your favorite part in the movie I was surprised. You were surprised? I, I was like, oh, I'm like, yeah. someone finally did something to her after all this time. It's so it's so satisfying, which is weird to say. Seeing a woman get strangled is like one of the most satisfying parts of the movie. But Nurse Ratchet, we got to talk about Nurse Ratchet. I mean, her strangulation, though, that was so believable. I don't know if he actually... Just went for it? Yeah, because just the way her eyes started to roll back in that scene, I'm like, oh my god. I'm like, did they call cut? Because she just looks like she's so close to just going yeah out. well that that's milos foreman you know he's a he is probably one of the best directors we never talk about yeah i hadn't heard about him prior to this movie really mm-hmm. oh wow no he's a he's a really good director he, he came from czechoslovakia mm-hmm. um i think i think he did closely observing trains i think that was his or it was either that or the fireman's ball both of those are fantastic um, check new wave films if you ever want to look them in look up to them because unlike a lot of other new waves like german new wave and french new wave the czech new wave it's like they're all screwball comedies oh. about like um just just like the absurdity of living in czechoslovakia and communism and these like people in power not knowing how to run a country and all this other stuff and also um closely observing trains is a 90 minute dick joke by the way it's okay. fantastic. But besides the point. So yeah, no, Milos Foreman, because he, he is very good at, like, the camera work in this movie, I think is is great. I think he's able to direct all the performances very well. The dialogue, I think, is superb. Like, this movie won five Oscars. Yeah, it won all the major Oscars. Yeah, is this the third film to do a, a sweep? It's, there's three total, but this is the second one. This is the second one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because that's, um, that's a thing for, like, the you Oscar movie buff people is the sweep where you get its best picture, best director, best actor, best... Actress. Actress. And screenplay. Is it screenplay? Mm-hmm. Oh, I, would, I always thought it was, like, production. No, of course, yeah, of course it's screenplay. I was going to say production design, but I'm like, no, that's that doesn't mean anything. That's one of those, like, B, B-tier Oscars, but whatever. Hey, that's important. It is important. No, every aspect of of the film is important, but, you know, screenplay is probably more important. Well, obviously, if you're going to do the sweep. But I I imagine, you know, if we were to go back and review that year that the Oscars came out, they probably took, you know, production, um, maybe sound design. Oh, no, because, well, this movie won it because it only won five Academy Awards and it won all the majors. Which, this movie came out in 75, and I think that was probably a pretty stiff year, 75. What else came out in 75? 
Let me check, actually, because I'm not actually sure off the top of my head. Because I would think, you know, well, it would be the 76 Oscars the following year. So I'm trying to think what big movies came out in 75 that this really would have been a contender with. Um. Okay, let me... Okay, here it is. So, wow. This is actually a, a solid year for 75 because... So, One Flew with Cuckoo's Nest beat out Barry Lyndon by Stanley Kubrick. Oh, your favorite. It's good. Dog Day Afternoon, Sidney Lumet, Jaws, Steven Whoa. Spielberg, and Nashville, Robert Altman. Wow. It That was a stiff year. So, there you go. And, oh, wow. He actually, he beat out, he beat out Michael Douglas? What the hell? No, that can't be right. And he beat out one of the Douglases. Well, Michael Douglas was part of this film. He was a producer. Really? Yeah, you didn't know that his dad bought the rights to the movie? Wait, Kirk Douglas bought the rights? Mm-hmm. Did he buy the rights so, like, he could be in the movie? So he could be the star in the movie. Wait, so this was 75? How old would Kirk Douglas would have been, like, what, in his 40s, 50s? In his 50s, but he had bought the rights to the, the book mm-hmm. years and years, you know, prior to this movie coming out. And by the time this movie was ready to be made... He knew that he was too old to be the part of um, McMurphy. Uh, M- McMurphy. I wanted to call him McDouglas after I'm thinking Michael Douglas. And I was exactly. like, yeah, so he was too old to be McMurphy. So Michael Douglas came on as a producer and the film was still made with, you know, Jack Nicholson as McMurphy. So that's uh, a little fact that I don't think he knew about. I, I did, and that <laughs> you was genuinely a... look sh- uh, surprised. That was that's a new one for me. I'm not I'm not usually taken uh, off guard by by movie trivia, but that's a good one. I'm keeping uh, that in my back pocket. How different would this movie have looked with Kirk Douglas? At oh, I think I have no idea. Because uh, okay, if it came out in like seven in seventy five, Kirk Douglas would probably be what like fifty in his fifties probably yeah because because he was in spartacus in 1960 and he was already in his mid-30s yeah so, so yeah instead of being a 75 film this probably would have been somewhere in the 60s yeah well i mean i think the the movie takes place in the early 60s so it's like how how different the cast would have been we wouldn't have had you know who would have directed it exactly uh, actually mm, okay so if this was like made in sixty five mm-hmm. or sixty six, and it was Kirk Douglas. He had the money. I wonder if he could have gotten Kubrick to come back and direct him, because I know because they did Pass of Glory, which um, Kirk Douglas said was one of his best performances. Mm-hmm. Then he got him on Spartacus, because you know the previous director fell out and Kubrick came in and saved the film. I mean, could you imagine a Kubrick um, one flew over the cuckoo's nest? I think this is something that you probably dream about every night. Not every night, but some nights. Some nights. I'm still thinking of Kubrick AI, but whatever. Um, well, moving on. Yeah, the it's kind of interesting when you think about it, because everyone in the cast is as close to perfect as you can get, mm-hmm. right? Is there is there even a bad performance by anybody in this movie? No, I mean, it feels like everyone in this movie is their character it doesn't feel like oh they're acting they're trying to be this character it's like no it feels like they were made for the roles that they took on in this film Mm. but mcmurphy do you want to hear some of the other people that were you know 
offered this role before Jack Nicholson took it? Actually, yeah, because I, I remember there was a few really weird names attached to this movie before um, Nicholson came on. All right, well, the list goes Marlon Brando. I, I heard that one, and that would have been a totally different movie. Oh, yeah. Gene Hackman. I mean, French Connection Gene Hackman. Eh, maybe. That, that, might not, that might not have been actually that bad. Steve McQueen. Oh, okay. Um, mm, okay, he'd probably have been in, in... He would also have been in his mid-40s or 50s at that yeah. point. But I'd be so down to see Steve McQueen play McMurphy. That'd be really cool if he had done it. And who Milos really wanted for the role, but due to scheduling, they couldn't get him. Burt Reynolds. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, this is kind of a Burt Reynolds role mm-hmm. when you think about it. That's crazy when you think about it. It's like, man, because there's some, there's some names on that list. Oh, they're heavy hitters. Oh yeah, especially back then, because seventy five, because The Godfather came out two, three years before, mm-hmm. so Brando would have been, like, the get in Hollywood. Oh yeah. Gene Hackman basically, I don't think he had a single bad performance in the seventies. No. You know, uh, French Connection, um, Conversation, go, goes on. Um, Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen. The just being king. Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen, the king of cool. Yes. You watch Bullet to find out why, and or The Great Escape. That guy is is untouchable. And then Burt Reynolds. Because Burt. Because this seems like a role Burt Reynolds would like would be perfect for. Like it's. I don't know if it's a pitch perfect Burt Reynolds role, but it it'd be pretty fucking close. But after watching the movie and it's been around for so long, you really, can't, you, you can't, can't see it without Jack. No. Oh, but yeah, I like how we're talking about Jack Nicholson and all the and all that stuff and how everybody's so perfect. But what what is a hero without its villain? And Nurse Ratchet. Oh boy, is she a villain? So icy cold. You know, people call her one of the greatest on-screen villains in in cinema history. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's like Hannibal Lecter, Darth Vader. Nurse Ratchet. <laughs> There's, mm, you know, and it's one of those things. It's like, what about her? Like the character is just so evil, like wrong. Because I don't. Because it seems like she is just a nurse who is just kind of going through the motions, and she's just on like a power trip. But we never see her like strike any of the patients. She just like talks to talks to them and kind of talks down to them and then and she just she knows what buttons to press to make these like emotionally unstable people kind of fall in line i mean it's like she almost sees them like as dogs you know she commands you know them to sit to take their pills to leave for their cigarettes alone (sighs) yeah that was a rough scene (laughs) really you didn't like the cigarette scene i mean uh what's his name who leads the scene Cheswick, he is just so believable in that scene. He's just upset. He wants his cigarettes. He's distraught. Also, it has the probably one of the funniest lines in the movie. How are we supposed to win our money back? Yeah. Because <laughs> the whole thing is McMurphy comes in and he's doing the thing that you do if you go to like any like boys club. You start a gambling ring. Yeah. And because he came from prison and they don't really have a lot of money, they're betting cigarettes. They're betting you know what little money they have. So Nurse Ratchet decides to ration out the cigarettes to to stop the betting ring. And Danny DeVito, who plays Martini, just responds back, 
but how are we supposed to win our money back if we don't get our cigarettes? I also love when they're gambling and Martini wants to put in five cents because a cigarette's worth ten cents. He just breaks a cigarette in half. And he's like, yeah, I put in five. And McGregor's Jack Nicholson's like, like ten. he's like, that's not how it works, man. <laughs> he's just trying to put the cigarette back together. It's oh, and Danny it's... DeVito's just so cute. He just has like this little innocent face like, oh, oops. And, you know. It is so weird to see young Danny DeVito, right? With he's, hair. He is almost unrecognizable. I did a double take when I first started watching it. I'm like, that looks like Danny DeVito, but doesn't. But it does. Yeah, because, okay, it's really weird because Danny DeVito is one of those actors, I think, has been in so many things. But he was in so many things, like, 20 years after this movie came yeah. out. Like, he he was he came was in a lot of stuff in the 90s. He did a lot of producing. He, you know, always found in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you see him when he's younger, you know, back then when he's doing his, his thing, it's just like, bro, you look like a like a teddy bear. Yeah. And it's it's so weird. And he always had a smile on his face, too. Yeah. Like, I just wanted to give him a hug. Like, you know, Martini, come here. Let me give you a hug. He's so cute. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think that's, a, that's also a thing because Martini, he acts like a child yeah. through the movie, right? So... He obviously has some sort of mental f- faculties that are compromised. He's not all there. He has he has like the mind of like a five year old, and he has like ADHD or, or ADD or he's autistic or something like that. He's something just, you know. He's a lot younger. His mind is a lot younger than his body is. And that brings me to to this: How many people in that ward do you think actually need to be there? Because, like. Billy, he's in there because he tried to kill himself and he's, like, depressed. And, like, Cheswick, he's just seems to be on the verge of, a men- oh, like, a nervous breakdown. All, all the time. All the time. All the time. But other than that? I mean, I felt like it? I felt like Harding really didn't need to be there. That's actually a point that's brought up in the book, that the reason Harding's there is because he's just... Um, he doesn't need to be there. He's just there because it's the only place he feels like he could, like, be in control, I guess. Which is not really a thing. Because he, he, he's one of those intellectual kind of guys who overthinks, like, himself and his relationship with his wife, who is way out of his league. Yeah. And then he just comes to the ward because... I think he had a nervous breakdown, and that's why he showed up there. And then he didn't want to leave because he doesn't want to face his wife and his life and his responsibilities anymore interesting yeah i because again i'm i'm trying to remember a book i read 10 years ago but it is a good book so i remember little bits of it yeah because there's a lot of the guys there that don't really seem like they need to be there if anything they probably just need you know medication that they take on a daily basis like with cheswick you know something that kind of calms that 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 need to constantly freak out when the slightest thing happens cheswick seems like he could probably just just survive if he just had like like friends. <laughs> it seems like a thing yeah. where he just doesn't have a lot of like like um, human connection with anybody, and he's just always on that er, like edge of just breaking down because he's just trying to get a point across, and he just can't do it. And because Billy, because Billy, we actually see him basically completely cured at the end of the movie, and then Nurse Ratchet intervenes. Yeah which is horrible oh my god did did that hurt it did i felt so bad for him oh did you cry at the end of the movie you can tell me okay no worries did you no i haven't cried at the end of this movie i mean 
we there the, there's the one ending of the movie where it's you know billy and then it's the other end of the movie with the pillow yeah oh this so this movie has a climax and an ending and it's painful and it's hard and it's perfect it is the perfect ending to to the story yeah it really is so we talked a little bit about the actors talked a little about the directors and we talked a little about you know the actual mental illnesses in the movie Mm -hmm. you know also on that note i almost forgot does all these people seem believable as mentally ill those that try and try and play it yeah i mean it also helps that they have you know people in the background that are mentally ill so you do get that vibe of this really is a functioning institution i I don't know how many people in the background were mentally ill also there is a cameo by a gentleman who was in the hills have eyes i forget his name but he is literally the main villain from the hills have eyes in 73 yeah you might have to point that out to me because i didn't see him or maybe i just didn't recognize him well he's the um bald gentleman that looks like his his skull's kind of oh yeah, yeah yeah i did and i was trying to i couldn't put my finger on it but he's also in the crow right i believe so yeah he's um oh my god what's the villain in the crow oh uh, he's not the main villain in the crow but he's one of the lackeys if he is in the crow, actually is he in the crow i think he's the main villain in the crow no he's not because the main villain in the crow is the one with the long hair the black like the long black hair in the crow the cowboy right no, no, I think we're thinking of the... Okay, because there's like five Crow movies, so you might be thinking of one of the sequels. Cause no, the, origin- the original one. The Brandon Lee? Yeah. No, no, in the original one, it's the guy with the long black hair, and he's the one who orders the kill. And that's the main villain of the movie. Like, I think you're, like, there's a cowboy guy in it who's a bald guy, but I don't think it's the same actor. If if it is, like, you know, kudos, but I'd, I might not recognize him. Also, it's been many it's been longer since i've seen the crow since i've read run through the cuckoo's nest that's it i'm pretty sure he's the main villain in the crow because yeah. i watched that um documentary on shutter the one about cursed film sets oh, and they show yeah. him he's underneath all the stuff for the cowboy guy and i just can't think of what his name is me neither it, it which is really really bad because he's probably one of the most distinctive faces in in films like this because um, he, he, do, he doesn't do, like, makeup or prosthetics. He has a um, condition where he doesn't grow, like, hair. Yeah. On it's his, uh, alopecia, I think? Something like that. Yeah, he doesn't grow hair on his on his face or body, I don't think. And it also messes with, like, the skin. Mm-hmm. So it kind of just... It just looks always, like, rough and kind of leathery. And he has, like, um, And so you see, like, his skull and he developed kind of weird. But he, he's, you know, a functioning adult. I don't... He has no mental deficiencies. I think he has, like, a bachelor's degree in, like, math or something like that. Yeah, that's why it was cool to see him in the movie. And it took me back to that that Curse Film Sets documentary where he's talking about, you know, Brandon Lee tragically dying on the set. And he just talks about, you know, how sweet he was and he was a dear friend to him. So it just took me back to that. I was like, oh, that's who you are. I'm like, I've seen now, you before. Now that I pointed that out, you're like, that's where <laughs> I know him from. Yeah, like... That was heartbreaking. But yeah, but I don't, I don't know. Were any of the extras in the background actually yeah, um, they, mental patients? Yeah, they were actually mental patients. Really? And the actors, they usually helped out with the mental patients. So each actor had about two to three people that they would like, you know, hang out with on set. Huh. I didn't. Because it's a, a functioning hospital. Oh, okay. Well, I knew they filmed in an actual like hospital. I just didn't think they actually used the patients as extras. They used like like the high functioning ones yeah, okay it was it, it was probably like only like three or four of them they actually used kind of thing because okay. there's 18 people in that ward right yeah 
and we know one of the extras was an actual actor. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess any of the extras that, that didn't have lines, they were probably, mm-hmm. okay, that, that makes sense. But yeah, so there you go. Yeah, and I mean, uh, the hospital that they, they shot at in Oregon, they only paid $250 a day to shoot in the hospital. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I was like, that's, it's not bad, and they had all access to the hospital, so the the guy that was running the hospital, I mean, he was pretty cool, you know. His name was Dean R. Brooks. Hi, I'm Dean. Yes, you are Dean. And this other Dean was the director and a doctor there at the hospital. Did he play the the actual administrator in the film? Because I remember there was another, there was an, an actor and there was another first name, Dean. I'm wondering if it was the same I person. I think he does make a cameo as one of the actors in the movie. Okay. That, that's probably why it only cost him 250 bucks. He's like, I'm going to be a movie star. I'm being pictures. Big pictures. Big picture. This was this was the big picture. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, if you're going to be in a, a picture. It's a good one. Yeah. Well, I mean, this, um, this director of the hospital, Dean Brooks, he also diagnosed William Redfield. Really? Yeah, because William Redfield died after the movie was completed of leukemia. Yeah. And... When he was there on set, I don't know if maybe he said, you know, hey, I'm not feeling well. And Dr. Brooks looked at him and said, no, you have leukemia. So for most of the filming, he was, he was, dying. He was dying. Yeah. So he was able to hold on all the way till after the film was completed. That's honestly, that's that's a testament because he played um, Harding, right? Harding, yes. And Harding is one of the the most interesting, like, like pieces of the ensemble. Mm hmm. Yeah, really good testament to his work because I know that happened with um, oh um Fredo, uh the actor who played Fredo in the Godfather series. Uh, was his last name Cassell or something like that? I don't know. Yeah, cause he cause he died in the making of the Deer Hunter. That was his last film. Oh. Yeah, cause he which is crazy because he was in Godfather, Godfather Part Two, Dog Day Afternoon, and like the Deer Hunter. Mm-hmm. And that the. Just did all those in like however many years they were out, and each one of them is considered one of the best movies. Yeah, you know, so yeah. Um, I wonder if there's any any other little little things about like the movie movie. Like, do you have anything you want to talk about? Because I because I know the the basic gist is you know we talk about the actors, we talk about the story a little bit, but is there any like you know questions you want to come up with? Not questions, but I, I really enjoyed the scenes, like the boat scene. That's that's a good one. I like how he makes all of them doctors when, when the harbor master comes out and he's like, What are you guys doing, you know? Oh, except except Harding. That's Mr. Harding yes. and Doctor Doctor Babbitt. <laughs> yes. That's why that was just a fun scene and it was funny to see them so excited when they pull back into the harbor after they've, you know, gone fishing for the day with their huge catches of the day. And it's police and it's people from the institution just waiting for them on the shore. And they're just waving and they've got their fish and they're so proud. Do you think they're mad because McMurphy just being this disruptive, you know, anarchist, whatever in the hospital did more to help these guys than they ever could. Definitely. It's really interesting because it's like what what's McMurphy actually actually do to make these guys better? Cuz they 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 do seem like they're much better off at the end of the movie. Yeah. S- subs Billy and also McMurphy, but you know from the beginning of the movie they're 
basically in this comatose they're sleepwalking through through life through this facility they're basically zombies at the beginning of this movie you know they're just kind of okay you know get in my chair we're gonna have you know our weekly or daily meeting with nurse ratchet where we all talk about our problems that really don't need to be talked about in front of strangers well i mean they're not strangers they're they're your your friends now they're they're your other patients now. well yeah they're your friends now but Still, you don't want all your business thrown out there on the table when this could be like a one-on-one conversation with a therapist there in the facility. You just kind of feel like she's just shredding apart their dignity by talking about, you know, oh, yeah, you had the problem with your wife. You Do you really want to go in, you know, into more detail about why you guys have these problems? It's just like, we don't really need everyone else to hear that. Right. I think they even make, I think they even make a point about that in the in the movie. Mm-hmm. Because, what is it, they're trying to talk, she's trying to talk to Billy about why he committed suicide the first time, and Cheswick's like, if or why, why he attempted to. Why he attempted to, and Cheswick is like, if he doesn't want to talk about it, why do you press the issue? Just leave him alone. And, yeah, it's really interesting how the characters go from basically zombies to people, to, like, full-fledged, yeah. like, human beings. Like, I, I can't imagine those guys staying in the hospital after the end of the movie right after after they see you know okay mcmurphy he's he's gone yeah. you know chief made the run for it i can't imagine all of them staying in there they're, yeah because like, they're most because almost all of them are voluntary yeah and it's like mcmurphy came in and just kind of like breathed life into them you know we, we see them before where they're in like this zombie comatose state and they all look like pale they look really pale to me in the beginning and at the end of the movie it's like they have more color in their cheeks they're more you know awake more vibrant it's more warm yeah so it's kind of nice to see how they shift from you know okay let me take my pills and just you know sit here all day or stand outside to you know they're cracking jokes they're talking they have this epic christmas party you (laughs) you really like that christmas party that was a fun christmas party oh so I think we have to talk about the ending of the movie if we're talking about the Christmas. Oh. So spoilers for those who haven't seen a movie that came out 45 years ago. Hey, it took me 45 years to see it. Yeah, you know. So Even though I, I haven't been here for 45 years, but this is true. you get the gist of it. So what happens is McMurphy, he plans his escape and he's going to go out with a bang. He's going to bring these two ladies of the night yes uh with a bunch of booze and he's gonna throw a big christmas party in the ward overnight and he's gonna slip out before dawn and he's gonna take a car with chief and they're gonna drive off to canada you know and just not stop until the you know sun goes off over the horizon very thelma and louise very thelma and louise so scatman carruthers who's the night um guard yeah or the night orderly um McMurphy bribes him with $20, a bottle of vodka, and one of the lovely ladies of the evening. And basically gets him taken away while the rest of the boys are playing. The, literally, the inmates are running the asylum. And, and it, it doesn't look like a half-bad time. Oh, no. They're drinking. They're dancing. They're th- they're they're gambling they're throwing things around it's it's a looks like a really good party scatman carruthers he passes out in the 
in the um i guess the nurse's station nurse station or it's like a back room that they have back there if someone needs to like lie down it's like a break room yeah it's like yeah he passes out in the break room everybody's having a good old time and then it gets to be about i don't know like 4 a.m something like that the party's winding down mcmurphy's like all right chief this is time you and me are gonna gonna get out of here we're gonna take the car the ladies brought in we're gonna drive off you know to the sunset and he's saying his goodbyes and billy's there and he's like hey you know i'm gonna be really sad to see you go and mcmurphy's like well you can come with us and billy's like i'm not ready yet and he's like well when are you gonna be ready he's like i don't i don't know and then they get to talking about what they're gonna do and mcmurphy realizes that he's really sweet on candy one of the uh one of the women and mcmurphy's like look i'll do this for you you i'm gonna put you and candy are gonna have herself a date and he's like but but i wanna and then he freaks out and kind of runs away and mcmurphy being mcmurphy's like ah nah son this today's the day we gonna make a man out of you and the whole ward grabs billy throws him in the room with candy and the two of them have a lovely night and mcmurphy's waiting there for candy to get done so he can leave and he just kind of falls asleep. They all pass out. Yeah, they've been they've been drinking, they've been partying, and it's late. And he just sits down and waits, and they everybody goes out. Next morning comes in, and Nurse Ratchet and the orderlies walk in, and they just see the destruction. And Tabor's face just like, oh my god, I didn't make all of this mess. Honestly, it was just all of us collectively. Christopher Lloyd, good. So good. Oh, I, oh, he's great in this movie. He's great in every movie. He is great in every movie. And, you know, they're pulling everybody out. They find Billy, and he is buck-ass naked in bed with this... With candy. With candy. <laughs> um, and he runs out, and Nurse Ratch is like, Billy, what happened? And this is the first time in the entire film Billy doesn't speak with a, v- v- with a very hard stutter. Because yeah. he talks like that throughout the entire film, except this one scene. Yeah. After his night with Candy, after he basically has fun for the first time, and he just talks in his rash, and he's like, oh, please we, don't tell my mother. Please don't tell my mother. We had a great time last night. I'm really happy. And then she's like, well, Billy, me and your mother are old friends. I'm going to have to tell her. And using that thing to, to twist the knife in, and then the stutter comes back. Then they drag Billy off into one of the offices because they're going to call his mom, and there are all this other stuff's going on. They're throw basically they're throwing the patients back into like the washroom, and that's when they hear a scream in the office. Everybody rushes over, and Billy had taken it looked like a shot glass or something, or like a broken piece of glass or a cup, something you know. Yeah, he had, yeah. He had a shard of glass in his hand, and and he had slit his own throat. Yeah. And everybody is like, "Oh my god." Nurse Ratchet basically pushes everybody out of the out of the office, slams the door, and everybody's on edge. And she says, "Okay, everybody, we're gonna keep to the schedule. Go wash up, you know." Like and nothing had happened. Like nothing had happened. And McMurphy jumps on her and just starts choking the shit out of her, just strangling her. I mean, he lifted her. Oh yeah, he- she was off the ground, and the orderlies come in, knock him out take him away and then it seems like a like about a month passed between then and the next scene when did it it only felt like maybe 
days or a maybe, week? Maybe, maybe days. It didn't feel like it was that long. Yeah, I guess it was still Christmas night. So maybe, maybe like a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so like a week passes and then at night they bring in McMurphy and Chief sees him and he's like, hey, you know, McMurphy, you know, it's ready for us to go. You know, I can, I can bust out the window and we can get out of here right now. And that's when Chief realizes that they lobotomized McMurphy and he is not there anymore. Nope. Yep. Lights are on, but nobody's home. Nobody's home. So Chief, you know, saying that, don't worry, I'm going to take you with me. I'm not going to leave you trapped in here. And he smothers McMurphy and kills him there. That was heartbreaking, but... Oh, it was so painful. But it's what uh, McMurphy would have wanted. He wouldn't, Yeah, he wouldn't want to live in inside a, bo- a vessel like... He wouldn't want the boys to see him like that. Mm-mm. And Chief kills him, and he lifts this marble... Um, fountain thing in the washroom and yeah. smashes out the window and just runs out as all the boys wake up to this and starts cheering him on. Yep. Uh, and the okay, the ending of this movie is the only way it could have ended for McMurphy, right? Definitely. You don't you don't burn that bright and not burn out like that. Nope. He had to go the way he needed to go. And there was no way that he was going to stay there and just be a vegetable until he dies someday. Yeah. And it's so heartbreaking when the chief says, I'm going to take you with me. I'm not going to leave you in here like this. And uh, it's it's so painful. Did it make you cry? No, no. This is is not the kind of movie I cry at. Honestly, at the end of the movie, when you see chief running towards the horizon, it's almost like a fuck yeah moment. It's kinda like, like Chief the... taking, taking charge of his life, doing what McMurphy wanted him to do. He became a big man. It's kind of like Judd Nelson at the end of The Breakfast Club where he, you know, just pumps his fist in the air. Oh, I, he I didn't... wish Judd Nelson was this cool. Like, didn't get the girl, but he got the kiss. He did. And the earring. He did. He did. Huh. We should do a Breakfast Club episode. You just want to do Breakfast Club. Who doesn't love The Breakfast Club? It's been a long time since I've seen The Breakfast Club. Then you should watch it. I like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest more. I like this as my breakfast club surrogate. It's okay. That's alright. We'll still do an episode. So, yeah. But that's how this movie ends. And you, you at that point, that's when you realize that this wasn't about McMurphy. Mm-hmm. McMurphy wasn't the hero of the story. Or he wasn't like the... Yeah. He wasn't the one who went through the arc. He wasn't the one who who mm-hmm. changed from the beginning to the end of the movie. He was the same guy throughout the entire movie. Yeah. But it's it's the story of Chief. How he went from being this guy who was committed to the asylum. He felt like he was small, like he was mm-hmm. worthless, and he just hid from everybody. He played deaf and dumb so people would leave him alone and he could be quiet and just blend into the background. Yeah, and then he, he became... He basically became a fixture you know, people just kind of walked around him or physically moved him. Oh, you know. They called you... him Chief Broom, for God's sake. They yeah. treated him like an object. Yeah. And then at the end of the movie, you know, he's like, yo, I'm not small anymore. I'm I'm big. I'm, I'm as big as a mountain. I'm, I am chief and I'm going to get free from this. I love when um, McMurphy and Chief are sitting on the bench about to go into shock treatment or the, the shock shop. And he offers him a piece of gum and he, he talks for the first time. And it's just, thanks. Yeah. And gives him another piece like, oh, juicy fruit. Good. And I was so happy when that scene happened. Like, I had a feeling that he was just playing it up. And once, you know, we get him talking, I was like, yes, thank you. 
It feels good. Chief is like the is Chief the best character in this. Yes, movie? he is. It's so, this is such a good movie. It's so good because you get because everybody has an arc in this movie. Basically, everyone changes except McMurphy and Nurse Ratched. Because, well, because Nurse Ratched, she's probably still the same mean, evil person, but because of McMurphy strangling her, she doesn't have that that voice. She can't talk as well. She can't beat these men down anymore so that's like the only change she had but that was because these the immovable force meet the unstoppable object and just slammed into each other but we also don't know mcmurphy prior to him coming to the hospital so we don't know i mean has he an idea has he always been empathetic because it feels like towards the end of the movie he's really empathetic and i think when they had first brought him to the hospital he wouldn't have cared about you know hey, I'm going to take somebody with me. I'm going to help them leave. It's just, I'm getting out of here. But at the end of the movie, it's like, there's no way I'm leaving without you, Chief. Well, I mean, that's actually a point. Because remember when he's when they're out in the basketball court and he hops the fence? Yeah. He could have he could have walked out right there, but instead he chose to grab the bell, grab the bus, drive him out to the to the boat and have a, have a good time. I think that's the thing. McMurphy has a character. He's just looking he wants the most out of life yeah he's just looking for the for the for the best you know run on this earth before he gets thrown out you know to to pasture Mm -hmm. and i think that's who he is from the beginning to the end i think even even when he starts he's you know hard fighting hard you know drinking kind of guy and but it's one of those things it's he's kind of like a bastard with a heart of gold yeah one of those things where it's like you know, I'll fight you, but I'll fight you twice as hard as you fuck with my friends. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what happened with Nurse Ratchet. You know, he's like, you fucked with my friends. No one fucks with my friends but me. Sorry about the uh, cussing. That, but I felt it was necessary for the for this this combination of emotion. But yeah, so much emotion in this movie. It's it really is. I would highly recommend this to anyone out there who just wants a great movie good performance good story good characters and like the themes of the movie i think still resonate it's about not being the you know the not trying to be forced into a peg you don't fit in you know don't don't be the square peg in a round hole kind of thing yeah about rebellion it's about freedom it's about you know humanity it'll tug at your heartstrings but it will make you laugh oh this movie's so funny it is and I think that comes from Milo's Foreman. The guy, the guy's really good at funny movies. I mean, I love the the scene after the shock shop when he comes, you know, walking into their meeting, and he's just kind of like starts walking in like Frankenstein, Frankenstein or a zombie, and they're just kind of you know calling to him, and they're like, oh my god, you know, what did they do to him? And he jumps, Frighten. and he's like, I'm still here, and everyone starts laughing. And Nurse Ratchet, she's just like, I should have shocked you more when I had the chance right because that whole the whole thing it's like it's nurse ratchet is is building up to the point where she's like i'm just gonna wait until a point where i can just break you and that only happens at the end when she gets choked when she gets choked and then she ultimately breaks him yep that's what happens when the immovable object meets the unstoppable force (sighs) but a great movie great movie and i guess that kind of is there any other points you want to talk about no, I mean, I think I think we got it all down. It was just overall great movie. I, I can't wait to read the book. You, fun fact about Ken Casey in the book. So he was doing a, um, a book signing for a children's book. He wrote way later in life. 
and um, he's sitting there with his wife at this like library doing the writing, doing the thing, and a uh, lady walks up, looks to be me an older older lady, and Ken Casey's face goes white. He's terrified, and his wife had never seen him like that before. Mm-hmm. Because it was the nurse he based Nurse Ratchet on while he was working oh, in the asylum. Oh. Yeah, because Ken Casey wrote this while he was working in an asylum. This is where a lot of the bases came from. Mm-hmm. And she was like, don't be afraid, Ken. I read the book and it made me a better nurse because no nurse wants to be Nurse Ratchet. And oh. yeah, so he actually, the book actually did good for, for, I guess, the people he wrote it on. Also, it has one of my favorite um dedication quotes at the beginning of the book it's uh dedicated to rob something um who told me dragons never existed and then showed me their lair because he was the person who got in the job at the asylum huh yeah it's a it's a really it's a really interesting story and you know ken case the original author is the the book works on the same level as the movie does and it's very very interesting and I thought it was weird how he's just so against the movie, how he felt like they butchered his story and just refused to watch the movie. It's, it is really strange. I don't know if he ever watched it before, because I don't know if he's alive. I don't think he's alive anymore. I'm not sure. I, I When I was doing my research, I, I read somewhere that I guess he was flipping through the channels late at night and he stumbled across the movie and the opening credits had already gone by. So he started watching like maybe the first five minutes of it. And he's like, hey, you know, this is pretty good. It's interesting. And then he realized, that's my story. And he changed the channel. He's like, no, I don't think so. I'm not going to give it the time of the day. And it's like, see, but it still got you. It still still hooked him in. It Mm -hmm. took him a second before he caught it. And that's, you know, testament to, you know, sometimes the adaptation just can be great on its own. Yeah. There's a lot of movies that have, you know, strayed from the books and they're amazing movies and the books are equally as amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. There's a little fun fact about, you know, the book and the theme and, you know, all that fun stuff. But, yeah. But, Miss Boo, I think that brings us to the end of our little talk about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes, it does. And next week is a Becky's Blockbuster and we're ending the month. Because next week's Thanksgiving. It is Thanksgiving. Believe that November is already over? Yes. Oh, also, I almost forgot. The day of our recording is actually somebody's birthday. Somebody from this film's birthday. Is it? Somebody turned 82 today, and it is Mr. Christopher Lloyd. That's right. It is his birthday. I almost forgot. But yes, on that... But speaking of anniversaries, there's an anniversary of one of my favorite actors' birthdays. So now we're jumping back to... November. Back to November. So, yes. Yeah, so, next week's Thanksgiving. Are you excited? Very excited. I'm excited, too. Are you excited more for the food, or are you excited for our episode? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. Uh, the movie we're going to be watching, I don't think I've seen since... God, I don't even know when. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Maybe 10 years? Oh, wow. This is going to be a new one. Would you like to give uh, any hints to the viewers, or do you want to just spoil it? I think I'm going to spoil it. In the, you know, season of giving, I'm going to give you the spoiler. Next week, we are doing the 25th anniversary of Toy Story. One of my favorite movies. This is the one you're going to cry at. I already know it. 
No, original Toy Story didn't make me cry. Toy Story 3, however, yes, it did. <laughs> I love you too. But yeah. So, yes, next week we'll be doing Toy Story for its 25th anniversary. And if you want to follow us, uh, you can follow us on Spotify, Anchor FM, Google Podcasts, Breaker. And if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us at Instagram and Facebook at the Film Club Podcast. And you can also find me, if you like hearing me talk about movies, on my other podcast, the Double Feature Podcast, or on this, or on the other, other podcast, because... My I God, man, how many podcasts do you have? Currently three, but we're working on more. Jeez. Yeah. But you can find all of that on the YouTube channel in the frame. You can also follow it on Double Feature underscore podcast, which you also run for me. Thank hey, you very much. You're very welcome. Bad at social media. Um, yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of. And yeah, so is there any place or any other shameless plugs um, we need to plug in before we wrap up? No, I think you got them all. Because right. this is just my only podcast. You're the one over there cheating with other podcasts. I'm not cheating with other podcasts. I just talk too much for one podcast. <sighs> That's true. You talk a lot. I do. And this is the end of me talking. All right, everybody. That was the Film Club podcast. You all have yourself a great day. We'll see you next week at the Film Club. Peace. Peace.